Next Chapter Podcasts. Can you ski do? You ski do. The song is Our Lips Are Sealed, and this is how the Go Go's introduced their music to the world. Not really, because We Got the Beat came out, I think, a few months prior. But man, oh man, does this take me to the backseat of my parents' car, driving to Athletic Express as a little kid. Just takes you back. It's the way, way back. Do you remember the way, way back from the movie Cloud Atlas? (laughs) That's where you're going to start the episode, Josh, talking about a really shitty Tom Hanks, Holly Berry movie. Cloud Atlas, y'all. It's the songs, <laughs> Our Lips Are Sealed, by the band Cloud Atlas. Nope, it's by the Go-Go's. It's off their 1981 debut album, Beauty and the Beat. And it's also number 414 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500, with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, Fleece Army? Happy Wednesday. You enjoying the countdown? We're getting into the thick of the records, y'all. Make sure you guys are listening to these albums, man. If you guys want to have positive vibes throughout your whole day, listen to the record. Enjoy yourself. Don't overthink it. Don't be a spoogle. Be a doogle. You know, I say it a lot. These albums are Wang Zookies, and the Go-Go's Beauty and the Beat is definitely one of them. My guest today to join me on the podcast, her second time coming on the podcast, the one and only Karen Kilgariff. The pride of Petaluma, my homegirl, man. That's This is my friend, and I love being able to spend time with her. I love being friends with this person. And not only is she one of the funniest people that I've ever met in my whole life, the queen of quip, she is obsessed with the Go-Go's. Oh, also, if you don't know who Karen is, she's one of the hosts of My Favorite Murder, only one of the biggest podcasts of all time. She worked on Mr. Show with Bob and David. She wrote for Ellen. The girl does it all. And this episode is part of that all. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen for free on Spotify. Follow me on social media, guys, at Josh Adam Myers, and email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And if you're on the Facebook thing, we got two groups, the 500 with Jam and the 500 Podcast fan page. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 414 out of 500 with Beauty and the Beat. By the Gaga. Karen, kill Gareth. Yeah. Karen, kill Gareth. <laughs> Can you feel her? Did you just say in the middle? Wait, in the middle of that, did you just go, yes? Uh huh. I agreed with this song. <laughs> like... I agree with this theme song for myself. This is what I've been looking for. <laughs> so, you're you're a repeat guest on this, yeah? Because uh, because the first time you 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 fucking you took it to the chin and did Gang of Four, a band that you had never heard a of, a band for boys. 
that had nothing to do with down my on life. The down on the street. <laughs> with my migraine. <laughs> migraine. But you became a fan and then yes. and then I threw the Hail Mary. I just for some reason I just knew. I knew that you were a Go Go's fan. And immediately you were like, Oh my God, obsessed, love the band. Yes. So tell me about you and the Go Go's. Well, Josh the go- this album that we're about to talk about came out in 1981. I believe I was either in fourth grade or fifth grade. And so I think I was kind of the perfect audience member for this band, even though I'm sure they, in their minds, it was cooler and older. Um, it was truly like an all-girl band that was writing these like insane hits was it, it like was it floored me i remember we um my friend nisha benedetti who we we were in carpool together and so sometimes we'd go to the benedetti's house after school and she had this record and so she put it on and then we sat in her room in total silence staring at this album cover and listening to this record like we couldn't believe what was happening because you know up until this point it there was a lot of like I mean, it's an exaggeration to make it sound like it was all Gordon Lightfoot, but that was kind of the vibe, you know, like AM radio was was all we had at the time. There were so many me- sad men with mustaches on my radio growing up that, that you know, when, when stuff would come through, it'd be Carol Kingish or, you know, it was a different vibe. The Go-Go's punched through in this way where it was like, a definitely new sound at least to me you know as a kid um but then also this idea that it's a girl band and it's girl songs about girl things and everything about that was just like it was you know we me and nisha got our bell rung as we were just sitting there like holy fuck the you know the was the first release um our lips are sealed was that the first one or was it we got the beat so yeah so that was the first big single that broke through that kind of like took them there but we got the beat i think came out i'd have to look but i think it came out like a few months prior but it didn't really get the like our lips are sealed like blew everything up our lips are sealed was a song about gossiping so like if you want to get a girl into your song talk about what we know i mean like that's it was this whole thing it was like yeah the those other bitches are gossiping we're gonna keep it zipped like the whole idea it was suddenly they were talking about stuff we gave a shit about and for me anyway that yeah. was like the experience suddenly it was like it was like a song for girls in junior i mean a band for girls in junior high and that was me yeah and so and so did like did you follow up with the other records or was just oh, yeah. this one and then you moved on? Yeah, because so then, you were like gung ho. Yeah, fully. And and also Belinda Carlisle's voice was so singable. It transitioned perfectly from if you were singing the Annie Cast album, which we absolutely were on the daily. Of course. The, it went right into the Go Go's. Like then you could go right into like can you hear that? It was all the great nasal power singing that we had been trained to do. So yeah. yeah, I mean once once this album came out, it was like they were that's that that was my band. I can only imagine like what that was like at being in fourth grade and seeing this like because they're like. They're all they're all really cute. Yeah. They all have like the cute hairstyles. They have like the new wave clothing down. 
you know, knowing you, you're a very hip fourth grader. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I, I could only imagine just like like what that did. Do you think that like by getting into the Go-Go's at such a young age and seeing them that like changed like the course of your life from that point on? Definitely. I mean, because then all of a sudden it was like, oh, you can you can kind of do anything that before then it was this it was very much like a grammar school concept of like girls are people too, you know, that weird bullshit where suddenly it's like they're all sitting on that album cover like in face masks and towels like we're about we're about to like they weren't already pretty. They were it was like the joke of, oh, we're going to get ready to be so pretty for you. Yeah, at least that's how I took it. Everything about it really felt felt you know, because it, it wasn't punk, but for us, it was very edgy. It was very different. And um, the sound was incredibly L.A., you know, for because I grew up in Northern California where Petaluma Pride, Petaluma Pride, Petaluma. Pride. what's up? <laughs> the egg capital of the world. <laughs> um, but like we, you know, L.A. was like a scary place. You know, that was like the big city, you know, San Francisco was yeah. like the nearby city that was familiar. But L.A. was like where famous people were and where show business was and where like dreams came true. So they had that vibe of like we're doing it in L.A. We're we're making it in the music industry. Everything about that was amazing. And it was kind of like you couldn't, you know, I couldn't not pay attention to that. Now, I, I'm trying to remember how. I found out about the Go-Go's. I guess I just always, and this is just me being a total dude, you know, cause like when they, I think they might've already been done by the time, like I really started getting into music. Cause they only had like a three or four year career. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I just lumped them in with all the other new wave, like singers and stuff or like new wave bands. But going into it this time, I, I've still had the same thing where I was like, eh, I'm not going to like it. Just a bunch of chicks singing about bullshit I'm not interested in. <laughs> lipstick and then, songs. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> How can I identify with my lips are open all the time. I talk all the time, constantly. But I just I had such a like I, I was just like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to do this. And immediately after listening to it now. It was like this record was so much fun. Uh, like I thought I was going to hate it, but then you just get drawn into them. I could see how like they just took over that 80s scene because it's like every song has these huge hooks on it. Yes. Right. And I just I don't think there was a song on the record that I skipped over. I put it on right at the beginning and I play it all the way through and and so besides just the music, I was like, all right, well, they're probably just like like a teeny bopper, like drawn together kind of band. They're like, all right, we need a girl to look like this. We need a girl like this. And the cool thing was I watched the behind the music, which if you haven't watched VH1 behind the music in a while, like dive in because that show is the shit. It's the shit. Start and with the Def Leppard episode because that is the most legendary. And then anywhere you oh, go it's from the best. there. It's so good. No, I think I honestly not to not to to argue with you, but I honestly think the Millie Vanilli behind the music <laughs> oh, no. might be the best ever. <laughs> I didn't know. Not just not just because of the story, but just because they have those weird German accents, and it, it's just, it's great. <laughs> there's a lot going um, on. And you know how much I love Germans. You love yeah, Germans. there's a lot going on. Um, huge German fan. Loved Goebbels. <laughs> Loved Goebbels. Easy. Um, Easy. 
Not now. But the story is so, like, these aren't those, they aren't those, like, picture-perfect girls. Like, these are, like, foul-mouthed, like, gnarly gutter punks. Yeah. Like, they they started in the punk scene. Uh, they, you know, toured with, like, super, like, straight-edge, like, punk bands. And, and only cleaned themselves up when they were like, all right, like, we can actually make a shitload of money doing this. Yeah. And and so that whole thing that like you said like that like them getting ready it's like dude if it was up to them they they'd look like dumpster divers and I fucking love that yeah they're real musicians they're real they didn't they didn't get put together by the record company you know what I mean yeah. they're real they were a real band they all play their instruments no one learned six months before the tour started it's not any of that usual shit there because it was pre that you know what I mean it's like they were I think they were even. Are they like pre MTV or just like right, uh, right simultaneous? I think to right MTV? at the beginning. I yeah. think I think simultaneous. I think well, I think that's kind of what launched them. Do you want to do you want to go through and find out how we got to this record? Let's do it. Okay, cool. Uh, so in the late seventies, Belinda Carlisle, Jane Weedlin, and Margot Oliveria were early punk rock fans from the San Fernando Valley who met at punk clubs. Uh, including Sex Pistol shows in San Francisco. So in the Behind the Music, what I thought was really cool was Belinda Carmile was not punk rock. Uh, she started off as like a cheerleader, mm-hmm. like almost like a valley girl. And then she went to the record store and saw Iggy and the Stooges' raw power. And from that point on, she was like, that's the way that I want to be. So I like... Which is insane because you just she's just this like like football player's girlfriend and she's like attracted and like totally blown away by this emaciated, like, you know, scarred, you know, squiggly dancer. Yes. That's what girls like. <laughs> That's what girls squiggly like. Squiggly dancers? Down. Yeah. They're, they're, Hell, they're especially squ- cheerleaders. You're... She's already had all the football players. Who cares? Yeah. You ever dated a squiggly dancer? I'm sure I have. Yeah, I'm sure I have. Right, we've all dated a squiggly dancer. All right. So they were inspired by the do-it-yourself punk scene, uh, where musical ability wasn't a prerequisite. Uh, so they decided to form a band with Belinda on vocals, Jane on rhythm guitar, Margo on bass, Alyssa Bello on drums, and soon uh, she was replaced by Gina Shock. They called themselves the Misfits before changing it to the Go-Go's. And despite their inexperience they immediately started getting gigs and learning how to play uh, i love this quote that i found uh the early descriptions of their uh concerts was this a reviewer once said the go-go's are to music what botulism is to tuna <laughs> shit <laughs> wow <laughs> what is bo- wait what is botulism isn't botulism that bad <laughs> it's bad right it is bad yeah it's that's the disease you get if you're t- Tuna can is dented. It's also what people shoot into their face when they're trying to freeze their face to be more beautiful. Really? Okay, that is that's oh. Botox. Yeah, that is Botox. So it wasn't right it that dude. wasn't a positive review. <laughs> that that guy's basically saying fuck these fuck this girl band. They suck. In ni- yeah, in 1981, bad review. Now with Botox, <laughs> visionary, amazing review. <laughs> this guy knew. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like the chocolate. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland.
the rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. So a few months later, they added former bassist Charlotte Caffey on lead guitar, uh, who had been working in a different band called The Eyes. Uh, they immediately uh, started playing on the Hollywood punk scene at clubs like The Mask and Whiskey A Go-Go. Uh, and then they got asked on a UK tour with British ska band Madness and later The Specials. And they're getting, like, hated on, Karen. People are, like, spitting on them. There's all those, like, neo-Nazi British, like, punk skinheads. Uh, and and they toughed it out and and basically came back even tighter and stronger. That just blew my mind. The idea of them playing in, in those kind of clubs. Like I never would have thought that Yeah, at all. I love that story. Cause I feel like that the same thing happened to them. Um, didn't they also open for the germs and the same thing happened where like, they're basically like being physically threatened while they were doing their set. And it was kind of a, whether or not that was them. I, I thought it was. But yeah, they they essentially went out there and were like, yeah, we, we're going to try to put this thing together. And then as they went through when they it made sense to me when they finally made that decision of like, what if stylistically we go, we take this left turn and we do something that's a little more like, let's get into this new wave thing so that every time we go out, we're not, you know, beaten up or have bottles thrown at our head. And it's like they paid their dues. Yeah, I wonder how new wavy they looked in England during that tour because I don't think they had cleaned themselves up yet. So they probably looked like I don't know if you ever like hung out in Baltimore, but there was a club called Auto Bar that was just like the dirtiest people in the world, all dancing to like Joy Division and Franz Ferdinand, <laughs> and and I wanted to be them so bad, yet I just I couldn't dumpster dive. That wasn't my look. So yeah, I just I I they didn't really explain like what their wardrobe was there but i'm assuming it was still kind of in that punk vein because earlier they did kind of look like like they all look like nancy from sid and nancy you know right yeah kind of sloppy there's like holes cut in their shirt the shirts were kind of cut and their bra straps were showing and yeah 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 all right so while while the band was getting more professional and gaining popularity due to sexism in the music industry they still couldn't get a record deal until they were finally offered one by the independent label irs records they made their debut quickly and cheaply in new york with veteran girl group producer richard gotten her god i hope i'm saying that right it's spelled weird uh and rob freeman and Richard had co-written and produced My Boyfriend's Back for the Angels, I Want Candy for the Strange Loves, and produced Blondie's first two albums. So, yeah, this guy knows how to write hits and how to work with, uh, yeah. So 
While the Go-Go's were admittedly still young, sex and drug-obsessed gutter punks, their songs and image were sanded down, like you said, until their rough edges had a shiny pop sheen, perfect for the teenage audience. So one of my favorite things from the behind the music, Karen, was anytime like like Jane or Belinda was like describing how they're these cleaned up girls playing for for fourth graders you know what i mean and yeah. and fourth graders are obsessed with them they describe themselves in these like long adjective like they were like dude i mean we're up there and and when you know we're we're playing for all these fourth graders but little did they know that we're these twisted crazy <laughs> drug addict <laughs> sex fiend guzzling and just they kept going like rheumatoid arthritic <laughs> Anything so for a jams. good time. <laughs> Diabetic, uh, eczema having. It was like Protestant. all these like, <laughs> Protestant, white, Anglo Saxon, Jewish, uh, king crab legs, uh, shrimp, <laughs> pasta. They just kept, there was this literally like a Ruby Tuesdays menu. <laughs> all right. So, fortunately, the IRS owner, Miles Copeland, also managed his brother's band, The Police, had the Go-Go's open for them on a tour, which put them in front of tens of thousands of potential new fans every night. And with the debut of MTV a month after its release, wow, yeah, you were right. It lined up perfectly. It was like, uh, yeah, simultaneous. That's insane. Our Lips Are Sealed uh, got them even bigger. Uh, Beauty and the Beat sold two million copies, spent six weeks at number one. And this is the, this is the thing I love so much that you kind of touched on at the beginning. The Go-Go's were the first and so far only female band to write and play all their own instruments on a number one record. That is so important. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I mean, so many females that probably wouldn't have gotten into music if they didn't see the Go-Go's in fourth grade. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who knows? Absolutely. Karen Kilgare might not be a comic. <laughs> Maybe you're fucking, you know... You'd probably be working, maybe owning a bar, maybe you're a cobbler. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be a super drunk cobbler. So everyone's shoes kind of didn't fit, but that's part of the look. <laughs> um, no, it, that was it. Is they, they were legit. So it wasn't like they were like up there singing the song someone else wrote for them. I feel like you can kind of feel that in that music. Yeah, where like the vibe they were doing. And, and it definitely is a vibe. Like, as I was re-listening to this album, I'm like, this is the record you listen to on the way home from the beach. It's so specific. It's so L.A. It's so like the sun is setting and everything is pink and blue. And it, yeah. which is exactly what the early 80s felt like. This is like pre, before everything was like branded and, you know, there was like advertising everywhere where it was like, it could be this individual little vibe of a band so they were kind of doing like that 60s throwback thing where there was harmonies on those songs and there was insane hooks um yeah i mean it's just like what's more more consumable than music like that but little did everybody know that they were these twisted crazy <laughs> drug addict canadian guzzling <laughs> uh, athletes footic is that a word athletes footic athletes footic um it is now um, so, so they, they went on, they made three records and eventually, uh, they, uh, split up in a haze of drugs, acrimony over songwriting royalties, clashing personalities, bruised egos, 
rheumatoid arthritic. <laughs> they had a few reunion tours and albums. Uh, Belinda went on to uh, write the chart-topping Heaven is a Place on Earth. Charlotte went on to uh, write musicals and a bunch of like TV theme songs, and she wrote some for Keith Urban. Jane Weedlin uh, also tried to get into music, something that blew my mind. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Clue. Jane is in Clue. She, we watched Clue together. Yes, we did. You fell asleep. Wait, you was fell she... asleep, but we watched. <laughs> Shut up about that. Was she? <laughs> Wait, what was she? Jane She's Weedlin. the I am uh, the singing, singing telegram. telegram. <laughs> did she get shot? I, I honestly her. don't think I made it to that part. <laughs> I really don't. All right, do you want to dive into the record? Absolutely. All right. Uh, the album opens with Our Lips Are Sealed. Uh, this is the first single from the album. It went uh, top 20. Uh, like we said, the Go-Go's had toured with British ska band The Specials, whose lead singer had an affair with guitarist Jane Weedlin. Despite a relationship in England, he carried on a long-distance romance with Jane and mailed these inspired lyrics to her, which she finished and put to the music. His next band, Fun Boy 3, did their own moody version of this song in 1983, which is the more popular one in England. Um, this is one that it it didn't connect with me right away. Like when I started, when I put this on, right off the jump and I was like, all right, I gotta listen to the Go-Go's. And then I put it on, I was like, oh, this is gonna be tough. And now this is, honest to God, one of my favorite songs that I might have done uh, so far on this journey through the 500. Uh, yeah. Peter, play the first verse. So, all right, so here's the lyrics. Can you hear them? They talk about us telling lies. Well, that's no surprise. Can you see them? See right through them. They have a shield. No secrets too revealed. It's it's like they're the most popular girls in L.A. If LA, if show business was high school, they're like the seniors that are going to like decide whether or not you're cool enough to be there is the is the vibe um, that I always had when I listened to them. This this song in particular, though, was very much like when this was when this would come on AM radio, it would like I would get really calm. It would be it would be like there was something very centering and calm about it. And the way like it's poppy and light. And then there's this like this underneath comes in. It, it's I yeah, I mean, they're 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 all adorable. Yes. Like, like Jane is like so small and like. Just looks like a little. She looks like a child, basically, and like Belinda. They, she looks like a little doll. Yeah, but they all are the coolest. And then like, yeah, Kathy Valentine and Gina Shock are kind of the badass ones. Where like you could definitely bum a smoke off them. Yeah, it's really cool. It is like every type of girl. It's it was early like Sex in the City, where like, are you a Samantha? Where it's like, are you Belinda Carlisle? Or are you? Wait, Jane who did Reuben? you identify with then? In this band, who are you? Who, well, I wanted yeah, to be I, who, Belinda Carlisle for sure. And now, and now, you know, years later, who are you? Well, <laughs> and the truth is, well, what's cool is later on learning that Charlotte Caffey was the one who I think she's the one that wrote the hits. Hits like she's the one that yeah. kind of brought it in that way, and and um, I think she's you know an amazing musician and kind of insanely cool person. So I'd like I like. Not that the, the rest of them aren't legit, but, you know, Belinda definitely went on that kind of like, let's just be completely, let's do the show business version. And she married some famous baseball player and she had like heaven is a place on earth and she got super skinny. So she did kind of the show business route. 
um, which is cool. I mean, she should do it all. But uh, yeah, I think this vibe, I think Charlotte, Charlotte Caffey was the real deal, you know? Yeah, for sure. Charlotte wrote the majority of the songs. Um, so since this is a song about Our Lips Are Sealed, it's about gossips and shit talkers. What's your worst shit talking experience? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> being shit talked about or doing it? Which, whichever, God. I know that's, this is a loaded question. It, it really could go is. either way. So whichever one you have the <sighs> best story about. I mean, God, I've, I, I have a thousand. I, you know, I was one of those people like in, in high school, I was so insecure that gossiping really, it really made me feel better. I know that they, you know, people these days especially like to say like, oh, it's just if you have to make someone else feel small, it's to <laughs> all that shit where I was like, it works. I'm sorry. But this in this, you know, the high school I went to had like 300 kids. It was super vicious. There was just overt bullying supported by all members of the staff. Like it was insanity. So to me, it was that kind of like, oh, look at her shirt. That was the only way to survive, which also kind you know, it's it's so doesn't it's so not relevant anymore. It's so uncool to be a dick and but uh I really I was a real student of that for a long time um so mm, yeah I think well one time I'll, the first thing that comes to mind is in high school I was talking about somebody in the bathroom as like four of us were standing in the mirror putting on makeup and this girl turned to me and goes wow Karen if that's what you're saying about her what do you say about me when I leave and then instead of like just being saying like oh I'm sorry that's true or something yeah. like that I was just like you don't want to know I just immediately like doubled down on the bitchiness and kind of got yeah, that feeling dude. of like this is the only option I have I can't this isn't I I don't have it in me to be like the bigger person or kind or anything I just wasn't familiar with it really so it was you know that whole idea of gossiping uh, to get to get ahead was I really believed in it for a long time. Yeah. So wait, do you do you have people that you still like talk shit with that, you know, because now it's like we, we talk shit, but it's like you have like one person that you're yes. just like, oh, this motherfucker. And you can just talk about everything else. <laughs> who, 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 who are you talking the most shit with now? Yeah. You know, I had to learn that lesson of that circle has to be, it's small, if not like small, I mean, single digits, <laughs> if not below five, uh, not digit. D yeah, really. Digit. digit. The, the safest way is digit is and digit. get get some dirt on them too. So just in case <laughs> they can never get out. A little insurance, the poor man's insurance. Well, yeah. my mom, not my, my mom. Uh, so my mom, when my dad died in 2010, my mom moved from DC to Pennsylvania to be around uh, her cousin and her sister. And her cousin was a little bit younger. Uh, well, actually, you know, her niece uh, and, and uh, her niece's mom. So my mom's sister. And so Sydney is my mom's niece, is my mom's niece. And they were like Yentas. And all they did was to get drunk and talk shit. And then my mom's sister dies. So Sydney's mom dies. And they fought over this lamp, right? It brought down the whole family. Ugh. But the the thing that's fucked up is, Karen, is that cousin Sydney told every other relative all the shit that mom had no. been saying about them. Nope. And and it and now we don't talk to any of them. Uh that's a you know, that move in and of itself is a real if you wanna like <laughs> yeah, you wanna close the door permanently on relationships, that idea that yeah. you would take there's been a couple times where I've been friends with people and then later on, what, you know, the friendship fades out or 
you know, in LA, you end up being best friends with 30 people and it's, it's very stupid, yeah. but it, it, I do have that feeling of like, yeah, I think I shared too much with that person. <laughs> I shared my actual opinions, <laughs> but I, st I think the, in later life, as I got older, I was like, I'm just going to always have that practice of like, if I, I won't say it unless it's something I would say to their face. So if it's going to be something really mean, it's going to, I'm saving the really mean stuff for people that are total assholes and deserve yeah. it. Yeah. Good so I try, you. I think I Good tried to you. get, you know, cause also it does feel bad when you're doing it to just whoever, like anybody that's walking by anybody that you're friends with, like oh, yeah. after a while that. that's that all lands on me, you know? All right, moving on. Uh, the next song, and now we're starting to enter into songs that I had never heard in my whole life until now. How much more? So this is a re-recording of the B-side off of their British stiff record single, We Got the Beat. Uh, like almost everything else on the album, it was co-written by guitarist Jane Weedlin and Charlotte Caffey. Uh, funny thing about this song... Well, here, actually, let's play the clip because this this part right here is my favorite part of the whole album. Uh, Peter, play 20 seconds in. How much more can I take before I crazy, oh yeah. crazy, oh yeah. How much more What I tell you, big hooks. Yes. Huge hooks. And kind of that vibe, like... The 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 way I was trying to think of like how do I want to describe it and it isn't unlike Gang of Four that weird um, kind of like cowboy desperado sound. There's something like there's something very much like it's almost like spaghetti western sound. Is it the bass? Hmm. There, it's such a cool fucking sound for what the like it goes against her vocals where it's it goes way down there as she's going up there yeah. and it just gives it this kind of like it's like you're compl she's they're complaining about some dude that's just fucking them over somehow and it, in the yeah. per it's like puts it together in that perfect way yeah i think i think i think the the actual term for it is cowboy sound <laughs> <laughs> it's what we call the cowboy sound in the it's, music It's what industry. we call the cowboy sound. But here's the funny thing about this song. Uh, Morty picked this out. Uh, they were big Elvis Presley fans. Uh, and this song sounds a lot like Elvis Presley's 1961 hit, Marie's the Name, His Latest Flame. Uh, Peter, play the opening to the Elvis Presley song. It, it That is, it's exact. But it's kind of like... That's kind of what I like about this band. They're, it's like they're being throwbacky, They're being retro almost, but it was the 80s. So I never knew what they were referencing. I just knew those like, this is kind of old fashioned sounding. Yeah, this is a mishmash of like a bunch of different California sounds. It's got surf rock in it. It's got the old outlaw country big in like, you know, Fresno and all those places on your drive to. On the drive back Petaluma, up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the drive back up. But and then it's got some new wave. This whole. This <laughs> there's whole, a real good Starbucks. It's got it's got there's. <laughs> <laughs> right where that sound originated. No, there's the best drive through Starbucks. Yeah, it's like right there. That's where Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard used to hang out. Yep, in that El Pollo Loco. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, it's a mishmash, and it almost has that 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 country, the cowboy feel, like you said. 
Yeah. Is that but, what it's called? It's cowboy feel? The cowboy feel, the cowboy vibe. But then at the <laughs> same time, I think that surf rock combination where like those drums, I, I used to get so excited about that drum sound too, because it was so, it was so sharp and good. And like, there was a lot yeah. going on. There was a lot to listen to. I think it made me feel like a very, um, it made me feel like a real music nerd. Cause it was like, there was every time you listen you heard the song there was like a different good part to pay attention to oh my god i like i wrote you'll see i'm not gonna even get into it yet i want to follow that statement up and i'll, I'll back it up later so all right we'll moving see. on i'll to wait tonight uh jane and charlotte co-wrote this only non-band song with peter case of the plimsolls the plimsolls yes would have a you know them oh yeah yeah they're rad there did you the ever rad? see they're so good. Um, the the movie Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage. No, I know I know of it, but I've never seen it. Should I watch? Should we watch it? Yes, we should for sure. It's such a good well, movie. Well, we still have we have a few things to get through first. We have, <laughs> we have Chud Two. We have Chud Two. <laughs> <laughs> Classic <laughs> reference. All right, Peter, play a little bit of uh, tonight for us. Oh my God! So good. It's, it's so. It's an. Good. We're gonna take to the streets. We're gonna walk up Ventura Boulevard, fucking with our yeah. fingerless net netted glove. It's the. It's about going out with the crew, hitting the town, the excitement, the anticipation, and I feel like for the eighties, for for the Go Go's, this sums up what a night out for them would be like, just like the, there's a big fucking, like a lot of energy, super high pace, maybe some Coke, a lot of Coke, maybe some fentanyl, <laughs> you know, huge fentanyl ban, some red Marlboro reds. I mean, uh, it definitely had, cause there's also that, I don't know. I wish I was an, a musician enough to talk about like major and minor chords, but there is that underpinning of like, we're going to take the streets tonight, but it also is a little scary and there might be vampires. Like there's another, it's yeah. not just cutesy. It's like, we're going to do it. And then we also, we might as five women go kill somebody for no reason. Like it has that vibe yeah. to it of like potential revolution. I love it. Lost and there's an 11-year-old. I was just like, after them. yes, exactly. It was just like, yeah. finally, someone's talking about what I want to be doing at night. <laughs> Taking to the street. I want to take the street. <laughs> I want to wear a skirt with weird motorcycle boots. No one's going to know what's going on. All right. I right, Tell me about the worst night you've ever had going out with the girls. <laughs> God. I mean, sit back while I tell you about the 90s. Um, <laughs> there was one night where, uh, <laughs> well, I always loved a pregame. This was when I lived in, it, I, this is like a nineties story. Um, and it was, um, you know, we had a big group of comedy friends and every year Kathy Griffin would have a Christmas party and me and Margaret Cho would like pregame at her house. We went down to Kathy's party. So by the time we got there, we were so shit faced and she didn't drink and she would have, and it was when she was on Suddenly Susan. Was that the name of the Brooke Shields show yeah. she was on? Yeah, it was. So, so yeah. I think we, Brooke Shields was there at the same time as us, but I know we behaved badly. At some point, someone was sliding down her stairs, 
like on their butt on a piece of cardboard. She got really mad. I told everyone, <laughs> I did, then decided to go around the party and tell everyone we're moving this party to Greg Barrett and David Cross's house. So everyone went over there, but they didn't know. Like I didn't tell them oh, about shit. it. So, and then, and then I went home because I was tired and I was too drunk to go to the next party. So Greg Barrett calls me and he's like, Hey motherfucker, there's like 50 people at my house right now and you're not here. Yeah. And then I was like, sorry. Like all like, he was mad at me for months after that. And all I could do is just like, yeah, sorry. I just, that would, that was how fucking things up for me was like, I didn't just want to fuck my own life up. I was hoping to fuck you your to fuck life up, maybe yeah. get you evicted you know, like, just let's really do this. If we're going to do it and we're going to take these drugs and we're going to do these, like drink this much, let's really have an impact on our community and our, on, and our relationships. <laughs> Why not cancel every fucking thing? He was cancel so mad. Cancel everything. You cancel it all. Oh my God. I would, I would, I would flip out if 50 people showed up to my house, especially. And it, was, it was kind of like a revenge. It was like Kathy was being so like picky, like, oh, you can't throw up on my couch. So it was like, okay, fine. I'm moving your party to someone else's house that doesn't know and wasn't in on the plan in any way. Like that's. Oh, I love yeah. it. That's I love it. one of the many I could tell you. I love it. I wish I <laughs> wish I knew you in the 90s. I wish we could have partied together, oh, man. Dude. We fucking, it would have been bad, dude, I think. Got, we would have we would have always been at Greg Barron's house. We would have been there all the time, hang with him, squiggly Dan, squiggling and, around. And we would have been dead around ninety seven yeah. and yeah, then 97 haunting Franklin Boulevard. But they would, you know, they there would be a big benefit, you know, and we there'd be like a oh. maybe, like an improv theater named after you, um, oh. right? Like a sketch <laughs> maybe theater. You might get a vigil. I'd get you a get vigil. a vigil at the Laugh Factory. I'd get a vigil at the Laugh Factory. <laughs> Hey you, did you have any plans this year? Ha, how's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're gonna get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. All right. So then it goes from uh, Lust to Love. And then we get to this town. Uh, Peter, play the chorus at 54 seconds. This town is our town. This town is so glamorous. Come on. 
That's the best song that's ever been written. Uh, ever? Including all of Beethoven's work. I think <sighs> that song is essentially them saying, we're the ge- gatekeepers of show business Hollywood, Los Angeles, and you're not good enough yeah. to come here. You think you're good yeah. enough. Everyone does. Come on, come on and watch how hideous and disgusting this town is, is kind of what yeah. the lyrics of that song are. And it's fucking the truth. Like there's a, one of the lines is, um, uh, stars, uh, like faded stars, uh, litter the streets, like worn out cars. It's just, it's so, it's so accurate. It's so what living in Los Angeles actually feels like. Yeah, so you that's funny that you say this because um, Morty wrote, like many other bands that had their turn being the sound of Los Angeles, like Guns N' Roses, The Doors, and Van Halen, none or almost none of the members were actual uh, Los Angelinos in the Go-Go's. Belinda and Charlotte were kind of from the area, but they were further out. Jane was from Michigan. Kathy was from Texas. And Gina was from Baltimore, Maryland. So that's so funny that these people that that have never, like, you know, they just moved to Los Angeles, became adapted to the scene, could create something that then changed the whole city of Los Angeles. Well, yeah, because, but isn't that the majority of people that live in Los Angeles? Like, no one's from here. It's ama- it is Nobody. amazing that, like, fucking David Lee Roth is from Diamond Bar or whatever, but, like... Really, at the end of the day, we're all, most people are transplants. Everyone moves here have with this idea in their head where it's like, I'm the best actress at my high school, so I'm going to move to Los Angeles, thinking anyone's going to give a shit about anything. And the, it's like the, per, I just think it encapsulates the kind of like, you know, the, like the real heaviness of actually living here when you're trying to like you think you're going to come here and do something and people are going to give a shit and it's going to matter and that whole song is kind of like hey come on yeah try it out good luck <laughs> so you yeah great you were the lead in arsenic and old lace in your high school play bring it like bring it bring it um so being that this is about uh a town uh what part of petaluma have you brought with you <laughs> um i guess i would say the the i grew up next door to my aunt's farm very small you know it was like a horse three cows and a bunch of sheep that we had to feed i'm still mad about it um (laughs) i think i brought that with me because it used to i used to sheep the, the whole vibe you the sheep you have sheep sheep <laughs> oh, the, vi- the farm vibe there was a yeah the farm vibe which i used to be afraid people were gonna think i was like country or like so i'd always use the biggest ten dollar word i could think of or you know it was always that kind of um especially when i moved to san francisco because san francisco especially when i lived there in like very early 90s that comedy scene was like everyone was like super smart and super um hip and very well read and so i always felt like i was trying to pull the hay out of my hair before i like walked up to talk to anybody um i moved to la and i realized overalls i know know. they're never gonna believe that you're (laughs) but i think that when i got down here i realized oh that actually is like that's what you do want you want to be able to kind of bring that piece with you so that you don't adapt like the last thing I would ever tell anyone to do is adapt to this city or try to become like what they see here. Cause that as we are all slowly learning or have known for a long time, 
the behavior here and the personality styles and the way people are sucks shit. So like definitely bring your hometown with you and try to keep it kind of in your heart as long as you can, because there's so many people here in their dumb convertible red Mustangs trying to like, and it, you know, blazer with their shirt open, trying to act like they know what they're doing. And it's, it's all phony. Yeah. It's so phony. So fake. Keep, Petaluma in, in your, heart. your heart tonight. Ooh, Petaluma, can you tell me that life? Petaluma is a place Petaluma. in your heart. <laughs> All right, now we've gotten to probably uh, this might be one of the catchiest songs uh, I've ever heard in my life. We got the beat. Peter, play the opening. All I can think about when I hear this is the opening to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That is that is how iconic this song is. It's it's just it's so 80s. It's so I don't even want to call it like post-punk or new wave, but it's just it's you cannot listen to this song and not tap your feet and not like get excited. And it's it's so good. I think because it was such a hit and it was everywhere for so long, it's easily dismissed as kind of like um you know, a kind of like fluffy pop, but the whole, the whole vibe of it, it like you, you, it's so infectious. Like you cannot resist this. No one can resist this song. It's so good. Good word. That best way to explain it is infectious because it's, it's definitely, it infects you. Uh, So this was the second single. It's a re-recording of one of the songs they originally recorded for Stiff Records in England, which became a top 40 hit on the Billboard dance chart in America when they were still unsigned, which blows my mind that they didn't get signed from this song because this version went to number two in three weeks. Uh, After the band attempted to cover Smokey Robinson and the Miracles' 1965 hit, Going to a Go-Go, guitarist Charlotte Caffey was quickly inspired while watching The Twilight Zone to play this melody over that sped-up beat. Uh, I actually have the Smokey Robinson song. Peter, play a little bit of the Smokey Robinson and the Miracle song. It's not like they're ripping it off. Definitely, like, inspired a little bit. But I feel like this is just formulaic pop just it's it's almost like do you remember in that thing you do when when uh jonathan sage i think that's his name's like the lead singer wrote that song that thing you do and they it was like a slow ballad and then the drummer shades is like fuck this shit and starts (laughs) fucking like ripping it that's the same vibe i get from this it's just once you speed it up you get a good beat to it and that's the chorus is something that you cannot not sing yes so it's just perfect um so speaking of rhythm when did you first find your comedy rhythm and make it work for you huh um i guess it was kind of young uh my family's very funny and they you kind of like you have to kind of earn your keep like at the dinner table, you'll get talked over unless you say something worth listening to. It's not like people will be like, Oh, the children are speaking. Like you had to kind of get, you know, earn your spot. Um, so I think I, I think I was taught young that like, if you're going to tell a story, tell the best version, you know, like figure it out for no one wants to listen to you blather kind of 
and that sounds really harsh. It's not like my parents were both like that, but it was more of like, it was much more rewarding. Get to the chase. <laughs> Come on, Karen. What the What's the fuck? arc of this? Um, so, so it'd be like, instead of just saying uh, sixth grade was, you know, like a, I don't like my teacher and class was boring. It would, the payoff would be much larger if I could like do an impression of my teacher and rant about how much I hated him and uh, you know, what a lunatic he, uh, he was or whatever. And I remember one time getting really like doing that and being so upset and my father being so delighted by it. And at one point he said, um, cause I was just ranting about how much I didn't like this teacher. And he said, Oh, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that classroom. And I said, no, you don't. Cause he would slap you off and eat you. And then like <laughs> my parents were just destroyed. Like I just killed both of them. And then it was just like, Oh yeah, this is like, I, th this is, uh, this is some, this is something I have the ammo to do kind of feeling, which is, it kind of plays into the thing we were talking about earlier where it's like it, it very much was that's why it was so satisfying to be like gossipy or mean about other yeah. people because it wasn't just like it wasn't just trying to cut people down but it was also trying to say look at this funny thing i thought of you know yeah, that yeah, was like yeah. the best oh, way for to sure. do it oh dude sh dude shitting on people is like sometimes the biggest laugh yeah yeah you know that's why that's why roasting is is still so popular because people fucking love it yeah um all right Fading fast. So do you remember a few songs ago when I said that that was my favorite part of the whole album? I lied. <laughs> Peter, kick it. You can talk about all yes, All right, so this is about being strong enough to stay broken up from a guy that wants her back. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just like it's these little moments in this that these hooks that are just so infectious that it just yeah, it just blows me away. Do you like this one? Love it. Well, also because this one I was thinking because there's there is a couple songs on here that I was like oh, I don't I don't remember automatic at all like there's some songs I feel like I didn't get to the very end of the album on this album, you know it wasn't a, it wasn't a playthrough for me. Yeah, these aren't you know what's funny is like the like fading fast and then automatic. Um, both of these two songs are they're not like they're not hits but they're not filler. It doesn't feel like that. Like, like, let's talk about automatic for a second, because like this, what's cool about automatic is like, there, there's no, like, there's no ballads on this. If anything, this is the ballad on the record and it's dark. Yes. So it shows that this band has like, not just attitude, but really has like, you know, like a dark side and a little bit more depth. Yeah. Peter play automatic real quick. <laughs> Doesn't automatic remind you of Scorpion still loving you? There's a real like, and I think it it may have been before. It has a very like slow dance, slow dance in the garage kind of vibe to it. Time, and it's time to win back your again. It's it's sexy. It's 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 dark. It's sexy. It's emotionless. Both the Scorpion song. And automatic. Um, all right. Uh, you can't walk in your sleep if you can't sleep. Uh, Peter, play 117. You can't walk in your sleep if you can't sleep. You can't talk in your sleep if you can't sleep. 
I, I think I think they were like they made a bet like how many times can we say sleep in the chorus? <laughs> it's just, oh. You can't sleep if you're sleeping when I'm asleep <laughs> and then I'm sleeping and I sleep REM sleep. <laughs> deep deep sleep. Also, they it's one of those ones where I can't get the rhythm. Like it feels like it's very much in the vein of they were trying to go like let's do let's do a we got the beat style feel yeah, yeah, but then yeah. we have to it's change it up a little feel. bit so it's slightly arrhythmic and it's like you can't uh, 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 <laughs> it feels like that you know maybe it was like later in the when evening I later in the coke binge we're never gonna sleep again <laughs> i'm taking apart my vcr <laughs> when i sleep i want to start a restaurant with you because we have done so much coke <laughs> Sorry. So this is about a red. No, that was perfect. This is about a restless sleeper who has night terrors and insomnia. Uh, so the main question I want to ask you is, why do you always fall asleep <laughs> when we're watching a movie? Like you're boring. I, um, oh. <laughs> don't ask if you don't want to know. It's because I uh, sleep in my system. Sleep is in charge. Ultimately, yeah. And also I get up I, because I had a long, for a long time, I had a very high stress job that I was constantly convinced I was going to get fired from. So I wake up automatically at six in the morning every day, even though I haven't worked there in 15 years. Um, so yeah. I, it's a little bit of that. Like I'm definitely a more a, against my will morning person. Um, and I'm, I don't know why, but I still, I'm always afraid I'm going to get in trouble. So by the time 1030 rolls around, so much has happened in my day that I'm like enough. I should have known when we were starting the second episode of DJ Two, Dirty John Two, for the people that don't fucking know DJ Two, DJ Two, like T Two, T Two, DJ Two. Um, so, all right. So, a more real question: What's your biggest nightmare or fear? That some emergency will happen and I won't have pants. This has been a this has been a <laughs> lifelonger. Also, that I would be in a situation where, like, someone. <laughs> like say would throw up on me or something because I am not one of those kind of people I know there's comics who have 15 stories about how they shat their pants I don't understand how that happens to an adult I I never really? have yeah like that's that's every time people like oh did that ever I like it baffles <laughs> the mind why wouldn't you plan ahead but anyway um maybe you just can't but anyway I need my to hang out with is... your friends I need to hang out with your friends if you're having those kind of conversations like with like <laughs> the just they're so they're just they're just so coy about there's like yeah I shit myself two days ago don't you hate it when you shit yourself and and you're and just like, the only yeah. one judging them but everybody else is connecting everyone's loving it finally I can talk about <laughs> my total incontinence but I always have had that fear of like you're stuck somewhere and then you have to borrow pants and then like I'd be wearing pants that are too small or white pants. I'd say that's my worst fear. <laughs> I'm a lucky lady. That's my worst fear. So uh, when my senior year of college, um, I was I had to drive. It was first day of a class. So you have to be, for, be at that class or they'll drop you. And it was history of rock and roll. And if I didn't get there in time, <laughs> somebody that was waiting would, would take my spot and then I'd get dropped. So I just threw clothes on. I didn't put underwear on because at the time I wasn't wearing underwear because I thought I was like some sex dude. And I was like, dude, no underwear. And I jump. Right, in, that's cool. Yeah. And I jump. Yeah, in, that's very cool. And I jump in the car 
and I drive from Baltimore City to Towson, and I get out of the car, and I couldn't park on campus because I couldn't find afford the parking pass, and I parked in front of this girl's uh, house that I was in a class with, who I also hooked up with a few times, and. I get out of the car and I'm like, wow, it's windy today. And I go, all right, let me do the wallet check, the keys check, cell phone. And I go to check for my cell phone in my back pocket. And I realize my dog Jazz ate a hole out of the back of my pants. That was like this. Like it was the size of like a WNBA basketball. It was huge. So the fact that I had no idea was crazy. So I'm like, shit, dude, I'm going to be late. I got 15 minutes to get to class. I don't have time to go to Hex at the mall. So I just, I, I knock on, I re- knock on Rebecca's door because her boyfriend lives with her now. And I'm like, oh, I could just borrow some pants. No one's home, but the door's unlocked. So I go down to the room. I take a pair of his pants, put them on, take my pants and throw them behind this couch that's like up against the wall. And then I go to class and then I fucking go to the mall after the class and I buy pants and I go back to dude's house, to Rebecca's house. And I take the pants and I fold them up and I put them where they were. And then in class, in our editing class, I tell Rebecca, hey, this is what happened. And she's like, she's like, you're a fucking jerk. Why didn't you just call me? And I was like, I don't know. I just was in a hurry. It was history of rock and roll. (laughs) Then cut to three weeks later, I'm it's like I'm wasted, all coked up, all drunk in Baltimore City at like 2.30 in the morning. And my cell phone rings and it's Rebecca and I don't answer it. And then I check the message that she leaves me and she's like crying. She's like, Josh, please call me. Randall found your pants and he thinks we're cheating on him. And I'm like, <laughs> and I had to call him and I call and he's like, what fucking sick shit are you into? He's like, yeah, the, the whole ripped out of your pants. And I explained it to him that my dog ate it. And there was peace in the Middle East after that. Thank God. It doesn't make sense that you, (laughs) the solution is not only stealing, is breaking and entering, stealing, but then throwing your shit behind someone. Why wouldn't you just take them back out with you? I didn't need them anymore. (laughs) <laughs> and that's where they bear. That's where they were buried. So, so just throw things. Just throw. I, things. I was. I. I Amazing. just. I didn't even think about, it. dude. I was. I was not all together my senior year of college. I. If that were me, and I just really quick that if I stepped out, there was a hole in the back of my pants. I'd get back into the car. Fuck you. The history of rock and roll. I'll figure that out on my own time. Everyone go to hell. There's no way. Like I would just have given up but it's and an run easy so quickly a. back home. It's like it's like, dude. History of rock and roll was a hundred percent a. It would be, like the questions were like, you know, like which side did Phil Collins park his uh, part his hair to, the left or to the right, <laughs> <laughs> or was it C a widow's peak? And you're like, oh, it's a widow's peak. <laughs> you know, hey. it, was, it was the easiest class I ever did. All right, and it's funny that we're talking about shitting ourselves because the next song is called Skid Marks on the Heart, (laughs) on my heart. (laughs) So this broken heart song to a guy who loves his car more than her is by lead singer Belinda Carlisle, and it's her only co-write on the album, uh, Peter, Play the Chorus. I, it's a good song. I think it is funnier when when you think it's about you know sharding. It, <laughs> it does helps help it. it because uh, there's also the feeling uh, in that of like 
they usually when they do a theme like this or they have some kind of like you know a through line it's much more um artful and this one is just like your car is on the hand. it's like it's very clunky. yeah this should be this should um, be this should be automatic this should be in like an automatic style you know what i mean darker like the scorpions yeah be like the scorpions yes hey everyone this is tuck from fit for a king in off-road minivan Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. It Have you should. ever played second fiddle to an object with a guy? Is that like a real thing? I just don't like. Yeah, my ex was super into cars. And at one point he had two, like he had his regular car and then he bought a car to fix up. And yeah, that's when I was like, I don't know if this is working. If you need to be like amassing these kinds of hobbies um, and large scale projects, um, it feels like you just don't want to be in the house. <laughs> so yeah for sure when you like it, it's it's the sacrifice you make if you get together with a gearhead because you're never going to be as good as a car you're just not yeah um i i have dated i have dated girls that like were obsessed with certain things like i remember i lost out to a girl from because she was obsessed with rupaul's drag race and uh yeah so i get it <laughs> And if you're no, in, you can't compete with that. No, God, no. I mean, <laughs> work, no, don't turn to the left, work. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't sashay or Shantae. Um, no. All right, final song on the record, uh, Can't Stop the World. Uh, this was composed solely by bassist Kathy Valentine when she was 19 years old after moving from Austin, Texas, and it captures the perseverance despite being lost and lonely in L.A. Uh, great song. Peter, uh, play the chorus. <laughs> It's almost like they're they're trying to leave you on like a positive note. Do you know what I mean? You're talking about uh -huh. you're talking about, you know, how these are the first women not only just to go number one, but they're playing their instruments like they're rock stars. And they know that they have probably like a fan base of a lot of women. I mean, guys too included, but so it's kind of like this is like a really like positive, strong song to end the album on. Yeah, I like all of those, I mean, this is a good song. I think also it really is, it kind of underlines the like, their bass, you know, Gina Shock and Kathy Valentine, that combo of bass and drums is awesome yeah. in this band. Like it really, but separate from how awesome Belinda Carlisle is as a singer, separate from uh, what a great lead guitarist Charlotte Caffey is and, and writer or whatever. But like, there is something about that. They are, truly are holding it down this whole album. And also that feel of all their songs where it's kind of like you get to like, as a girl, you finally got to be the one you get to register a complaint. It's not like, Oh, when will he take me back? <laughs> yeah. It's all like, this guy's a dick. Fuck this shit. This is really hard. I hate this town that I live in. Like it's all very, and it also is kind of like, 
I don't, it's not, does he love me? It's do I love him? Yeah. It's like, a, it, it was really like a paradigm shift in a lot of those ways. So there, it was, this is almost like the combination of all the, vi all the vibes and all the themes yeah. on the whole record. Yeah, you're right. It's cool. Yeah, it is. That is fucking cool. I never even thought about that. Uh, do you want to do some facts and get out of here? For sure. Can't stop the facts. Come Baba do can't <laughs> stop the facts. Are they even true? They were so broke when they made this that the towels they wore on the cover had to be returned to Macy's after to get the <laughs> refund. Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, and they put but those towels had like body makeup on them and like probably yeah. sweat from their first like photo shoot. <laughs> God, they would be worth and, and, so much money now. And 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 now you know it's. I just like to believe that they ended up in some like seventy-five-year-old woman's home. You know what I mean? She has no idea. She has go-go towels. You know? Oh, that's yep. those are those are the those are the bathroom towels. Just keep them there. <laughs> There's a little packet of cocaine tucked into the into one <laughs> what, of them. What is but, this? Is you this, know? Is this nose blood? Is that what it's called? <laughs> nose blood? That doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth. Nose blood. What was the first extravagant thing you bought when you got some success? Because I know you, somebody gave you a BMW, right? Yes, that's true. The f I guess the first big thing was a Nissan Altima. That was like the, you know, a <laughs> because I, <laughs> I wanted to get a car, but I also didn't want to, I knew, I didn't think it was like, I, w I had made it forever. So I was trying to be like kind of reasonable about it, but it was the first car that I drove that wasn't like actually my dad's. Like I remember I I drove my, I, it was my car in my mind as a Volkswagen bug, but um, I came home from college and there, I had put an REM sticker on it. And my dad's like, that's not, it's my car. Get this yeah. shit off of here. I'm like, dad, <laughs> it's one of the better bands. I could have put a bumper sticker on of that. Um, so yeah, I'd say first, that first big ticket item was, was a Nissan Altima champagne. And now just in general, having had even way more success, what's the most extravagant thing you have ever bought? <laughs> these teeth really yeah yeah i had really short irish teeth that were kind of yellow most of my life and they always bugged me so much and most people were like i don't I never noticed your teeth one way or the other yeah but um yeah when i knew it's always you that noticed it, it always but then it does make you feel better and like everyone in los angeles and these days everyone in general um has big old bright white teeth so if you did have your party days you know in your 20s and smoked your share of camel wides or whatever insane shit oh, yeah. i was doing back then <laughs> like the i just turkish golds you know. <laughs> like dude I, my, my, <laughs> I was i was visiting my family my sister and, and the little kids and one of my nieces went you know your teeth are yellow and i'm like well gotta get these fixed now because <laughs> Because if she's going to call them out. They'll and, let you know. And all I'm doing right now is just like, because my teeth are straight and it, they just, it's for, you know, I need to get like white strips or something, but I don't know what to get. Yeah, so. get one of those, like get a bleach tray. Yeah. You'll be good. I know. And also it's just, I just need to buy it. Or you could just take out a, a home loan and then get yourself some veneers. <laughs> um. Well, uh, that kind of leads us into the next fact because- uh, the punk days from the Go-Go's carried over. So when they got famous, Jane Weedlin was smoking angel dust. Charlotte Caffey. <laughs> yeah. Angel dust. Charlotte. Yes. Charlotte Caffey uh, became a complete heroin addict. And Belinda Carlisle had a $300 a day cocaine habit. 
Yes. How much do you think you've saved from being sober? Because I think <laughs> I, I, if, I, if I still was doing opiates, that's $200 a day. I've been sober for, well, off of sober. I'm LA sober. I've been, so let's, let's see how much my math would be while you think of how much you spent. So three, so $200 a day times 365 equals $73,000 times three. <laughs> I've saved $219,000. <laughs> okay, well then mine would be up near $5 million because I've been sober, I've been like haven't, Dr not drinking sober since 97 and not just the like tab the liquor tab and my favorite thing to do when I was drunk is be like everybody get, I'll buy that was my favorite the, the fact that I got to myself to a point in my career where I could like have a credit card that worked and that I could buy other people drinks that was like my that felt great um which you know is the worst thing oh, to do yeah. with, like your friends with a bunch of broke comics who were just like yeah we're you know, everything we just did is going on her card um but then on top of that the miracle like if i had kept drinking i would absolutely have gotten at least one D dui if not many more or fucking hit somebody or you know what i mean like i think about that and shudder constantly of the amount of drunk driving i did and how lucky, it was just pure luck that I didn't hit anything or anyone or like, I mean, it's Well, the cops didn't want to pull you over. They were like, dude, that's a brand new Nissan Sentra. We can't, or Altima. <laughs> what was it, an Altima or a Sentra? There's nothing. It was an Altima. <laughs> that's a brand new a Nissan. A champagne-colored Altima. There's nothing up. bad happening in that car. I kind of feel like was I don't drink. I haven't drank really in like fourteen years. Um, but I I think it's weird. Like certain cars, I feel like I drove that were just asking to be pulled over because I got three of my DUIs in my shitty Jeep. And I mean, it was so, it was like salmon colored and all beat up. It had like, you know, I had like a sticker of like Travis Bickle standing in the mirror. Like what the fuck? I was just, it was like asking to be you're, pulled over. So yeah. to an Ultima, you're good. <laughs> How's my drunk driving was your, was your sticker. Yeah, I was doing like, but you know, the funniest thing was I did eventually put an Everclear sticker on that car. Yeah, you did. Because I was super into Everclear, saw them live. Um, oh, I thought you meant. The, I, thought you meant I thought you meant the booze, like Everclear, like no. moonshine. I was like, I was like, yeah. How did you not get no. pulled over? You're a big Everclear I was big into Everclear. Well, you know, for a little while, and then um, I think I. Uh, oh, when I stopped drinking, I had to stop driving because I had seizures. So I had to stop driving for three years. So I just brought my car up and gave my, my Ultima to my parents so they could keep it for me so my mom would drive around in an, that ultima but with an everclear sticker on the back oh my it. god it's <laughs> my favorite it looked like this middle-aged woman was super into everclear i am still living with you <laughs> you know what the best thing about everclear was when i used to dj bar mitzvahs they do the candle lighting service so so they, they the bar mitzvah comes up and he's like he does like a rhyme he's like you know uh, mom and dad, I, I love you so much. Uh, you always do this and something, something, something. Come up and light the first <laughs> candle. And then I play a song. So when it's like, when it's mom and, and, and it was mom and dad together, I wouldn't play Everclear. But sometimes the mom and dad were divorced. So the mom got a separate song and the dad got a separate song. And it was always, <laughs> dad, come up and light the first candle. Father of mine, where are you today? 
How's that? Oh, All right, two, two more facts. Um, uh, before the Go-Go's took off, Belinda Carlisle lived in a rundown crash pad party apartment in Hollywood with a bunch of other poor punkers and visiting musicians that was affectionately known as Disgraceland. And I think, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, from the VH1 behind the music, it was at the corner of Franklin and Cherokee. So just to give you an idea. And yes. the last fact... Uh, John Belushi was an early fan, and when they were still unsigned, he once gave Belinda and Kathy a stern lecture about the evils of drug use and show business. Then, a week later, he offered them a bunch of cocaine. Sadly, uh, he died before he could see their tremendous success. That's how we're going to end it? Jesus Christ, Josh. <laughs> Fucking read the room. Uh, but it is funny because you... You wouldn't think of that band. I I know them and love them and would not think of them as like such a druggy band. Angel but Dust. But I think that's just kind of Angel Dust. Angel Dust. PCP. How did she how did she do that? She's <laughs> like lifting like Marshall stacks over her head. Like what is how? How do you play songs on Angel Dust? All right, we're not ending it with mm-hmm. that. Uh do we have another fact? <laughs> yep, that's it. No, we don't have any more. That's it. This was great, Karen. This was so great. This was awesome. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the Go-Go's? Um, just that my cousin Dina, who uh, is no longer with us, and she she was the Go-Go's number one fan. She was developmentally disabled, and she would walk around with a binder with pictures of the Go-Go's that were pulled out of like Teen Beat magazine, in, and my aunt put them into plastic, you know, like the plastic pages. And she talked about the Go-Go's constantly. She made you look at the book with her constantly. And she would always talk about someday she was gonna be roommates with the Go-Go's. And so that's, to me, ultimately, the Go-Go's like Dina, that it reminds me of Dina and her like, true devotion she slowly moved on to the bangles because the the go-go's broke up and she's very dismayed she got into the bangles later but she uh, she was the go-go's number one fan it just should go on record that's really sweet i like that's a perfect way to end yeah it. dina dina's with us yes always dina is with us yep. and every, now every time i listen to her, i'm gonna think of dina <laughs> who i've never met but i love yeah with all of my heart yeah uh this was great thank you darling absolutely so fun thank you What did I tell you guys? The one and only Karen killed Gareth. For all things Karen, you have to go to her Twitter page because she doesn't have an Instagram. But I'm telling you guys, her Twitter is phenomenal. And that is just Karen Kill Gareth on Twitter. Guys, listen to her podcast, My Favorite Murder. You can find everything at myfavoritemurder.com or on Instagram at myfavoritemurder. Now. We just listened to the Go-Go's from 1981. This week, our music director, Maddie Penfield, selected Soccer Mom. Soccer Mom is Sophia Allison. This Swiss-born American singer-songwriter has toured with Vampire Weekend, Foster the People, Paramore, a whole bunch. And you can check out her new single, Circle the Drain, on Spotify. And you can find links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums and artists, and you want your music featured on the 500 website, I think you do, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, 
is Minutemen Week as we go downtown to their 1984 album, Double Nickels on the Dime. That is a dope album title. I've been listening to it. Man, oh man, I see why some of my kadoogles out there are getting all kachunka from it. You got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Dude, it's like 46 songs, so dig the fuck in. Stay fleecy. Doogle Doogle. Black Lives Matter. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Next Chapter Podcasts.